Welcome to another episode of A People's Theology. I'm the host of A People's Theology, Mason Meninga. In this episode, I talk with Shannon Harris. Shannon is a singer, actor, composer, and the author of the recently released book, The Woman They Wanted, Shattering the Illusion of the Good Christian Wife. You can get connected with Shannon and her work in the links in the episode description. If you're a fan of A People's Theology, it would bring me no greater joy than if you gave the podcast a five-star rating and review. Tell me what you like about the podcast. Also, if you feel so inclined, please support my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Mason Meninga. There are multiple tiers with wonderful rewards, including papers I write to even a book club. Enough of my rambling. Enjoy more inspiring and liberating theology. Today, I have Shannon Harris with me, and Shannon, you are a singer, you're a composer, you're a writer, uh, and uh, speaking of the writing, you recently wrote uh, a great book, uh, a, very much a memoir about your life uh, called The Woman They Wanted, Shattering the Illusion of the Good Christian Wife. Uh, I'm super, super stoked to chat a little bit about this. Uh, it's just going to be a great conversation, um, but uh, I, I would imagine there's many other things to you, Shannon. So who is Shannon Harris to Shannon Harris? That was a great question. Um, and thank you for having me. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, yeah, I, I am all those things. Um, I think, I think those are very much who I am. Um, I'm an artist. I'm a, a singer. I'm a real creative kind of person. And then I think aside from that, I have learned since leaving the church that I am also a very strong woman um, that, you know, the, the woman that I was in the church was really almost like, a, I wouldn't say a performance because I really did think I was, you know, being who I was supposed to be. And I was trying so hard, but I had to work so hard to be small. And so Shannon Harris is very big. <laughs> Mm. very big very loud <laughs> i love that i love that and i would imagine uh and we'll obviously want to get more into your story but i would imagine for so much of your life you probably had to shrink yourself so that you mm -hmm. weren't so big and so i would imagine exactly. it's quite freeing to realize no i'm 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 a big person a big personality and i love that about myself i would imagine that's a pretty free moment whenever you get to it, that point it is freeing i will say that 20 years of kind of minimizing yourself is very challenging to break from. It's mm -hmm. a default, you know, it's so easy, but yeah, it's pretty awesome. And I look forward to getting bigger and bigger and louder and louder. <laughs> Love that. Love that. Uh, obviously this book is very much a memoir, but was there any research for this book that went into <laughs> writing it? I I'm just curious, like what, like yeah. if there were things around, like, obviously there's, there's a lot of conversation around like purity culture. There's a lot of things going on uh, with, with like deconstruction going on in this book. And so I'm curious, like yeah. if there was any research that kind of went into this book that maybe you didn't know about before, uh, if, if there wasn't that much, maybe it was just purely memoir. You didn't really have to go um, searching around the internet 
lot for different uh, facts or, you know, different, you know, reading different books to to uh, make your argument or whatever. I, I would imagine maybe there wasn't so much of that. But just out of curiosity, was there anything that you yeah. learned about uh, that? Anything like that in the book? No, exactly. I, I think I was coming from this place where I was super self self-absorbed in a healthy way. Like I had been so you know, I spent 20 years really giving, 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 giving. Mm -hmm. And so I was coming from this place when I writing this book that was very focused on trying to figure out myself. I was, um, I spent a lot of time alone and I actually purposely didn't really delve into the whole deconstruction world. I didn't read a lot of books. I, I mean, I didn't read any books. I was really trying to hear my own voice mm. and learn to listen to myself again. And part of that, I felt that was that one of the things that I felt was important was for me to actually kind of not, not be taking in tons of resources. As you were writing this book, again, because so much of it's memoir, you know, you're uncovering these stories like these documents. You're 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 having to process through these things, and maybe some of these things are some of the first times you're processing some of these things, and maybe you've processed some of these things a lot of times, you know. But I, I'm yeah. really curious then for for you, what was it like, or what maybe you learned something about yourself as you wrote the book? But really curious, just like that personal relationship that you had to yourself as you were going through the book writing process. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I saw, I saw this question that you sent me and I literally, it's blank here. I, <laughs> it's blank. I, I mean, while I was writing the book, I still was learning, you know, I've heard some people say, maybe Shannon wrote this book too early. And I'm like, you know, since when is it not, you know, when is there a right time to write about your own life? Mm. I mean, do you have to have perfect sight on it? I don't think so. Like, I think the important thing is, uh, this, this book reflects where I was, you know, at this time and it doesn't have to say every word or I think through the whole process of the book, it, there was a lot of, a lot of pain and a lot of regret that mm -hmm. I didn't, that I let these things happen to me. Mm. That was probably the hardest thing that because there was this process of having to kind of sort out what was done to me and what did I allow and why did I allow myself to be put in these positions? I wasn't raised like this. I was very supported as a child all throughout my growing up years. I had wonderful teachers, wonderful influences. So why would I then really just kind of disappear and let everyone tell me who to be? So I would say regret was probably the most difficult part of writing this book, but, mm. Mm. and, and learning to be kind to myself that, that was huge. You know, I had to learn to say, you have to learn and say you did the best you could at the time. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I often think about that for, for myself and knowing the sort of things that I participated in growing up 
and to know that you know I at the time I really had no other option or or I I didn't know any better right I'm just doing right. the what the best I could at that time and, and fortunately I was introduced to other kinds of way of uh, living in the world that uh, made me realize okay may, may, maybe I need to move away from some of these things I'm participating in um, but certainly. Yeah. It's one of those things where, yeah, you, you just, there's only so much you can know and there's only so much you can really do. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Well, let's talk about the story. Uh, let's talk about your, your story. Uh, let, let's talk about kind of the, the beginning. Let's kind of like, you know, obviously I want to hear a little bit more of like you eventually obviously leaving evangelicalism. Mm -hmm. and I, I don't know if you describe it as your deconstruction story or not, but that, that kind of thing I, I eventually want to get to. Uh, but what led us up to eventually, obviously everything kind of imploding and, and then now you um, obviously very much moving out of that world. I'm curious what, what's sort of the lead up? What, what's the, uh, how did I, how did I get into the yeah, church? Let's, kind of thing? Yeah. Let's hear, let's hear all about the, the beginning, the very beginning yeah. of the story. So I kind of liken this to Alice in Wonderland in the book. Um, you know, I, I, I'm fresh out of college and I've just graduated with this degree in communications, but I had gone to performing arts school and I knew halfway through college that I wasn't going to do anything with this communication degree and that I wanted to be an artist still, mm. but I didn't really know how to make that happen. And I would say a real weakness of mine is being able to set small goals. Like I've had to learn how to, to say, I want to get here. What are the small steps? So all to say is I was very ungrounded at this time. And I had, I was going to go to, I was thinking about going to New York or Nashville. And I had met uh, through a friend of a friend, a guitar teacher who started to evangelize me. And I was going to like write some songs and then I was going to take them down to Nashville and go to the Bluebird Cafe or whatever. And that's, that's what I was going to do. So my guitar teacher becomes my friend. We both just graduated. You know, everybody's just kind of trying to find new friends, new new way of living. And we get a gig together in the town. And then he starts evangelizing me. And eventually I visit the church. And that's where kind of the, I think to myself, I'm just going to peek my head in here and see what this is all about because he really wants me to go. And then the next thing I know, I just like fell down the hole. Um, did you grow up in evangelicalism by any chance? I did or, not. Like you didn't have any relationship to it all prior to this. None, none. So, you know, I kind of laugh because even when I met Josh and there was all the purity stuff, like for me, I did not understand the massive social movement behind, <laughs> behind what I was doing. You know, I just, I didn't know. So I was raised secular. Um, I had a Catholic friend. I had like a Lutheran friend. I had one friend that went to some weird charismatic church. So I'd had a couple of like experiences, but my mom, because she had been raised a strict Catholic, actually deliberately did not include religion in our upbringing. She didn't, she felt very stifled by the Catholic church. And so she was like, you're going to, you can decide what you want to do about religion later in life. And I kind of, I kind of, I kind of put a sticky note in my mind that I was going to figure out religion later. Um, it was something I was curious about. So I think I had come to that sticky note. And when 
this guy was trying to get me to go to church, I was like, well, okay, I, I always wanted to handle this. So I'll mm. go and see what I actually believe, you know, um, because I hadn't sorted out my beliefs about God. Yeah. So then I, you know, I, I, I get, um, what happens is I get roped in really quickly at the time that I joined this ministry, they were developing a, they were changing their name. They were changing their branding. They were, they were growing. They were bringing in new leaders to launch a music label. They were, they were really upping the ante on their goals. There were, there had been a leadership split that of course we got none of the real details about and it all seemed very positive. And within like the first year I was in their brand new state of the art recording studio, recording music for them. And that was amazing. And to me, that was this incredible opportunity. Bob Coughlin was the leader of music that they had brought in and he's a very talented guy. He had had a real, successful uh, career. Um, He developed and arranged the band, uh, the group GLAD, the acapella uh, group. It was like in the 80s. And he's just an incredibly talented guy. And so I immediately felt very connected to the music. And I think, you know, that it was a huge part of why I I got in because I was was busy right away. Mm -hmm. And before I knew it, I was Um, I was singing in front of thousands of people. So I was in a way getting some of the things that I wanted out of life. Um, And then I met Josh and I really liked him right away. And about a year later. Josh was a part of this ministry as well? He had been kind of courted, if you will, by the leader of the ministry to come and be the leader of this ministry saw Josh as a potential successor, absolutely went after him as the, as his, um, what do you call it? He was the Paul and, and Josh was going to be his right. Timothy. Okay. okay. Sort of like a, an apprentice, uh, of sorts. yes, yes. Yeah. And so, so we meet and then, um, you know, Josh, Josh had, his book had not come out yet. So, I actually got the very first copy of that book. It had, I was working at the church office. I had taken a part-time job there and his shipment of books came like straight from the publisher. He had never seen his book in print before and the box of books comes and he opens it up and I get the very first copy of this book. And you weren't then dating then while he was even writing the book then, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. So, but I liked him. And then um, because we were working and because I saw him at the church office and our church, the younger group was a small group of like 25 college age people um, or, you know, young adults. I saw him a lot. So that's how things kind of progressed there. Right. So the book obviously comes out and becomes a massive deal in, in evangelicalism what sort of talk talk about that part of your story knowing what you know what's about to happen after you get that first copy yeah so what happens with our relationship is i I think there's a couple factors we've got cj um haney who's who's josh's mentor and he's the leader of this ministry and he's putting tons of pressure on josh to 
be an example to the younger kids in the church. You know, he really wants, he just wants it done in a certain way. And then on top of that, you've got Josh having this book um, and this audience, which I was not really aware of the significance of Josh's audience to him. Um, and so, you know, he himself feels this pressure to live out these um, ideas in his book, but instead of just kind of doing this casually, we, we, you know, we end up having to take it to the nth degree, which is right. we're not even going to touch, like we're basically, right. you know, so then, so then on top of that, you've got CJ kind of, I think, I think my understanding is that he kind of pushed the courtship along fast. Our courtship was 10 weeks long from the moment we sat down and he asked me out to engagement. Wow. Which is ridiculous. Um, we probably spent like, I don't know, a handful of times alone wow. and we held hands. So looking back, I just think, I just didn't understand that I was not central. I was just kind of, I was being swept up in some very uh, aggressive goals that had nothing to do with me. Right. And yeah. And I just didn't see that because I, I was in love and I, um, you know, I wanted, I wanted this relationship. So the purity culture piece to this, especially considering you didn't grow up in any of that at all. Mm -hmm. What mm -hmm. was your relationship to that part of it that you just were like, I would imagine like at some point you're like, I, you know, I love this guy and I, you know, I want to do what I need to do in order to be in love with this person. But exactly. I would also imagine like, you're also like, what the hell is going on? I can't even like hold his hand. Like I would imagine like you're, you in that moment we're probably i'm guessing experiencing this like we there's just like a totally. lot of weird things going on I, but i'm curious like what, what what's your story around that part of it yes it's so that's so insightful because that's exactly what i was feeling i was like well the background too is that i was new to the church so i was kind of believing that everybody else knew how to be godly so i was kind of feeling all this pressure but also like in a good way, I was like, okay, I'm learning to be godly and people are telling me how to do this. So that that's kind of like the background. So, but where I was actually coming from was, you know, I had lost my virginity in high school. I was not weirded out by sex or sexuality. Like I, I think I had a pretty healthy sexual ethic, but I knew that for Josh, like the fact that I was coming to um, this relationship with past experience, which is kind of a double standard because Josh also had a little bit of experience. So <laughs> it's just, mm. but the woman's experience is always kind of elevated right. to the, to the witchcraft, you know? <laughs> right. So I kind of came to it with this sort of patronizing, like, okay, all right. I, I want this guy and this is, this is kind of really important. I think this is kind of silly, but I'll do it because I really love, you know, I really want this person. I really love this person, or I think I love this person. 
So it, it was a little bit of a little bit straight down the middle, like me trying to live a different way because I had been shamed to death that my lost virginity was this huge deal, right? And and that I had taken something away from my future husband, and I felt shame for that. I was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that this was supposed to be this amazing gift that I gave my husband, and I stole it from underneath this unknown person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just like. So there was the shame and then there was also, so me trying to do better. And then this kind of, but, but the, I think the real me was this kind of like, okay, this is so silly, but okay. I want to invite you to the Q Christian Fellowship Conference on January 11th through the 14th, 2024 in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Are you LGBTQ and Christian, or are you an ally of the LGBTQ community and looking to learn how to better uplift the lives of LGBTQ individuals in faith-based spaces? This conference is an annual gathering where LGBTQ Christians, parents, and allies gather for worship, fellowship, workshops, and keynote speakers, making lifelong friendships, experiencing healing, transformation, and hope, and witnessing the fullness of God's love and affirmation through each other. This year's speakers include Miles Markham, Bishop Joseph William Tolton, Kathy Baldock, Britt Barron, and special guests Flamie Grant, Matthias Roberts, and many more presenters who are deeply committed to this work, including this podcast, A People's Theology, which will record a live episode that you can attend. Register today at qcfconf.org with the code A People's Theology, all caps, no spaces, for a 10% discount off your conference registration. Q Christian Fellowship, cultivating radical belonging for LGBTQ Christians and allies through a commitment to growth, community, and relational justice. I hope to see you there. I would imagine there's got to be some level of like difference uh, when it comes to the tr like the sexual trauma uh, around purity culture from somebody who grew up in it versus someone like yourself where you later on in life got introduced and essentially groomed into it. I, I, and I don't know like what your relationship with other people who, uh, especially other women who have experienced some sort of either sexual trauma or shame uh, around yeah. themselves uh, because they were grown up in it. But I'm curious, like, if, like have, do you notice that difference between your, your own experience of later on coming into purity culture versus growing up into it? Like, have you noticed that difference between yourself and other women who uh, obviously grew up in it? I, I'm, I'm curious around that. Like, if, if you notice any difference or is it all the same? I, I'm just really curious around that. I think it is really different. I think, I think when I deconstructed and I had, the way I look at it is I had handles to grab onto of what it looked like to be an independent person with my own body and my own choices. And, um, you know, a young woman who has been born into a fundamentalist Christian family and is essentially owned by her father and then goes maybe perhaps straight to a husband has never had the experience of knowing what it's like to make many choices. Probably. Um, I, I honestly, I think I had as difficult as my story is. I remember being very grateful that I had this, what I call this handle of me, like uh, something to grab onto that 
you know, that I, that I knew and that felt familiar. It's like this version of me that just, just that, that just kind of lived without overthinking, I guess is kind Mm -hmm. of part of it. Mm -hmm. So I I do, I noticed a big difference. Mm -hmm. We've talked obviously a little bit about the the early part of your relationship uh, with Josh and obviously that being around the time that the book comes out. And then, you know, I don't know how long exactly it is. I'm guessing it's somewhere around a decade from like those early 2000s period when you when you all got married to whenever the well, and then the ministry you said imploded yeah, around. It's about 11 or 12 years. Exactly. So, yeah, Something right, right like around that. a decade it, it, during that decade, you know, it, and you, you've got the 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 phrase even in the subtitle of becoming a good Christian wife. Like, what was that process for you to not only move from like being the kind of like almost like a poster child of like courting and purity culture, yeah. like at least a poster child from like being the woman uh, th- that's in that world to now you're, you're moving into this, um, this status as the good Christian wife. Like, what was that transition? Like, what was that experience like of now having to essentially force yourself into being this quote unquote, good Christian wife? Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I mean, that is essentially what the entire book is kind of detailing. And it's hard to just boil that down into like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got you over know. 200 pages about it. I'm sure like that's, uh, you know, that's the story. Yeah. And that, that really is the story I was trying to tell. Cause I, at the end of the book, you know, well, I don't want to give it away, but you know, at the end of the book, I'm just arriving at like this version of me where it's mm. like, okay, I'm, I'm back to myself. So that is the story of the book. And it's just, there was, tr- because I was marrying the the next leader, there was tremendous amount of pressure put on me. I was, I was very watched. I would get confronted for the smallest things. And I really adopted a survival mode. I found out later from my therapist that, you know, I, I developed coping strategies, which meant like ignoring my feelings ignoring everything i everything i felt really i was ignoring everything it was it was and i and i am very much uh, i think um a couple things an all or nothing kind of person i really give myself to the things that i give myself to i can be an intense person and i also am very persevering so i think coupling all of that meant that i really denied myself hardcore, you know, and just did what I was supposed to do. And I also think the ministry was hiding stuff. And so there was a tremendous amount of fear that I had. I was picking up all this, you know, a lot of the pressure I was feeling, I think, was their fear that, I don't know, I don't, I don't, I don't really, I still don't have all the facts, you know, They're, they mm-hmm. won't open themselves up to actually be examined for these sexual abuse allegations. All I know now is when, when those, when the church imploded and the allegations came to light, my story actually made more sense. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is probably why I was not given any voice or any position. This is why I was, I was really asked to isolate myself. I was told I couldn't talk to my best friend about stuff that happened in the church. Mm-hmm. But I thought we were talking about like, I don't know. I, 
I was new to the church. So I certainly didn't think we were talking about sexual abuse stuff that could come up, you know, and, and, but essentially I'm having to kind of fold in and I really do that. I kind of, the first year of my marriage, I kind of just, I remember just sort of collapsing a lot of my own goals and Mm. dreams for my life. And then of course you start having kids and for the next, if once you have two kids, there goes a decade, you know, it's like, if you're, if you're a stay at home mom, you're, you're busy for 10 years. Mm-hmm. So I was really busy. I have, I have three kids and uh, homeschooling was a big part of what Josh wanted. So I was extraordinarily busy with, with that and also with being a pastor's wife. So I would sometimes go from like, I would sometimes go from like seven in the morning, I've got my kids, I've got breakfast, I've got homeschooling, homeschooling's done, clean up. Then we've got guests coming. I've got to cook dinner somewhere between three and five and guests are coming at 5.30 or six or seven or whatever. I mean, it was insane, the schedule. And I think in some ways I didn't actually ever have even time or space to think Mm -hmm. for a long time. Mm At any point during those years, because you didn't grow up in the evangelical world, at any point, did you kind of think to yourself, like, life could have been really different had I not, you know, gone into this world? You know, we were just talking about, uh, like, the person that may have grown up fundamentalist and and then gets handed off to their husband. Like, they, they don't know a world outside of purity culture and being the good Christian wife, like they don't know a world outside yes. of that. But you, again, experienced what it was like to not be in that world. So did at any point in those like 10 years of you now becoming the good Christian wife, uh, quote unquote, did you kind of ever have these like doubts or questions around like, God, life could have been really different had I like not totally just like almost got sucked into this? Yeah. Well, a couple of things I'd say about that. The first is that I was extraordinarily committed to the idea of never getting a divorce. Mm. My parents had divorced when I was 10 years old and it crushed me. Um, It just undid me. I had no idea you could just kind of like end a family. And our family had been really tight, at least from my perspective. And I didn't see it coming. There was no fighting. There was no nothing. My parents actually are still friends to this day and they handled it really beautifully. But Mm. as a 10 year old, it was devastating. And so I went into my marriage. So the answer, one of the answers is no, I didn't. I didn't because I was not going to ever rethink this decision. It wasn't a decision I was ever going to think about. It was made and, you know, I'm in it for do or die. That said, um, the the thing that kept cropping up for me was my unhappiness that I wasn't doing music. I wasn't, I mean, I w- even when I was a musician for the church, I was doing their thing. And right. I think in my heart of hearts, I knew I had, I had my own thing. And that was the thing that kept coming up because I started to have to just talk to myself like, you know, I say in the book, I'm, I'm walking around about 10 years in and, I, and I'm really starting to feel unhappy. I'm, I'm unsatisfied. I'm doing things that everybody else wants me to do, but I'm not doing the things that I'm supposed to do. 
And, and as a creator, as a creative, I was just starting, you know, I think I was just starting to explode with unused creativity. So I was, I was becoming very unhappy and really losing vision. I was having to, like, I would go and I would just try to re-envision myself or what I was doing. So it was really the music and my dream because ever since I was like three years old, I really did feel I had a purpose and that purpose involved um, performing arts and me having my own audience. Um, I, I kind of like had this vision of myself, even when I was really, really young of me being on stage. It was just bizarre, but it had always been there. And I do believe that that, that is part of my purpose, a big part of why I'm here on earth. So it kind of kept calling out to me. And that was the thing I questioned. Like, why, why am I not able to do that? Right. Yeah. I mean, obviously knowing like how much of the, the music side of you was so, so important, even going into the ministry, right? Like that was part of the reason why probably it drew you in because they, you know, had the right. recording studio and you, and, and to totally. then all of a sudden with like, within the matter of probably a year or so, you're having to essentially neglect that part of your life altogether. It's it just got to be such a difficult part of it because that's the main reason why you even started going to the church. Right. Well, and actually I did it for quite a long time. Um, I did okay. get to do music. I did record for them for probably about a decade. I was actually doing quite a lot. But when Josh actually got promoted to be the actual senior pastor, that is when it drastically changed for me. I had three mm -hmm. kids at that time. This was, I think, 2006 or four. And suddenly, Sunday mornings, it was not an option for me to sing. It wasn't an option for me to travel. And that did play a big factor because after five years of that, I was just, I was kind of dying. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, let's move now towards yeah. uh, the, the sort of second chapter uh, of your life at, at this point, or at least this part of your life. Obviously, things drastically change for you to the point where you're at now. And I would love to hear kind of like the, the story of from from that point, I'm guessing around 2011 is maybe when things really mm -hmm. start to change for you to where you're at now, uh, because uh, certainly where you're at now is very different than where you were around 2011. I mean, you have the naked pastor writing endorsements for you. Things have must have changed. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, let's I, I want to hear that part of the story that this sort of what feels very hopeful to me, that this this hopeful side of the story of things very much cha um, changing. Obviously, there's a lot of trauma involved. There's a lot of tragedy, yes. a lot of drama. Uh, but I'd love to hear from that point to where you're at now. So kind of during that season when I'm 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 pondering my unhappiness, um, that's when the church basically crumbles. And what happens is that in a sense, it opens the door. A couple of things happen at that time. The, the leaders that had exerted so much control over me actually left. They were no longer on the plantation. <laughs> they packed up and left, and that was a big part of the division. I lost all of these relationships, which of course was this really hard part about it. But at the same time, the church crumbling allowed me to be free. No longer did I have these people who had been watching me like a freaking hawk. So something really lifted there. Um, the other thing that happened is that at this point, Josh was also getting tired and we weren't sure we wanted to stay in ministry. 
um, because it was the church split and then the allegations and that all, and there had been stress before this. So we're talking now at this point, we've, we've been six years of under tremendous stress mm-hmm. or something like that. Don't quote me on the numbers. I'm not a numbers. I'm not an exact person. Um, There's a reason why you're an artist and not a mathematician, right? Thank you. So we decide (laughs) this was a really huge moment. Nobody ever went outside of our ministry for counseling or advice. And that's what happens in these churches. It's it's Mm -hmm. just a total bubble. Your doctor's in there, your, your counselor, your sex therapist, your marriage counselor, your everything is in the bubble. And Josh must have heard about these counselors and and there's even pushback on the team for us to go see these counselors to get advice about ministry, whether we're going to stay in ministry. So we spend, um, I, I say we're going, we've got to go. Because at this point, I had been dying for years and, and Josh was only just starting to die, I think. So we go and, and we meet with these guys for an entire weekend. And these guys specialized in working with burnt out pastors. And so they've worked with some of the most influential pastors in, in, of gigantic churches in the United States and very experienced. And we go in and right off the bat, they see me as a separate person from Josh, which is literally like the first time that mm-hmm. happens or has happened since I joined the church, since I married him. I have, I have like a little funny skit that will eventually be a comedy piece where my name is actually his wife and I don't have a name of my own. So they, you know, they said my name, they, they, they asked for my story. They asked for how did I feel? What did I want? And that was the big question they threw out that I left with that weekend. It was like, it was permission to ask the question, what do I want? And no one would ever give that permission to a woman in my church. Mm-hmm. No one would ever ask the woman what they wanted. It was just not, it wasn't really on the table. Not, not even in small things a lot of times um, for me. So that was sort of the thing I needed to be able to reconnect with, with my own, I guess, agency and authority. And so I started to do that. And we decide not to go. Um, we we ask for a sabbatical. We don't get it. We don't get the six month sabbatical. We get a wow. three month one. And I said I wouldn't go back for three months. So we decide we're going to go to. Josh wants to go to Regent. He wants to go to back to the West Coast. And in Vancouver, it's like there's nothing. It's like all the all the things propping us up are suddenly removed. And it's just it's just. Um, it's like almost like a blank slate and it's, it's really there that it's so still and quiet. I have no friends. I have, or I have very few friends, you know, I'm meeting people, but it's, it's minimal. I start to experience the after effects of the trauma. I start to cry. I start to, I start to feel things Mm -hmm. again. And I start to kind of believe my own perspective. And I start to assert myself and I make, I start making goals. I released an album and I just, you know, I really just started kind of taking these little steps. Yeah. So there was a lot kind of crumbling at that time, but, uh, but, but getting away from the church stirred up a lot of things. Of course, you know, when you, when you change things in your life, when you're making lots of decisions, 
important values kind of come to light. You know, what, what's important to you, what's important to me. And that was kind of, that was kind of happening. And then basically what happens is I have this kind of what I call the Barbie moment. I have this Barbie moment where I'm like, you know, if you've seen the movie, you've seen that moment where all the Barbies are like waking up and then they start running to each other and they're like, wake up, wake up. You're in, you're in like this patriarchy thing. You know, my favorite scene in the movie is where weird Barbie holds up the shoes and she's like, no, you have to choose these. <laughs> you know, that's, that was my story. You know, it was like, you, ha you have a choice, but no, you actually have to choose this one. <laughs> so the Barbie moment, I realized that this concept, this whole thing, it's related to my dream in the music. I, I, somehow I connect the dots that this biblical womanhood, this ideal that's been pressed on me, isn't good. It isn't for me. It wasn't ever for me. And it was actually hurtful to me because it took away something from me that wasn't evil and it mm. wasn't sinful. It's not evil or sinful for me to have my own career. And I don't know why I didn't see it before, but that at that moment, that changes everything for me because I realized that, that the whole system was not set up for my good mm. and I will have to speak on my own behalf and make sure I get my own good. Mm. So that kind of, and then I think with that, I'm also realizing that the motives of CJ, that CJ's motives possibly were very mixed. And of course that kind of makes me have to relook at my own personal story, my marriage, mm. the origins of my marriage and my right. relationship, because he was incredibly inserting himself in that time. Mm -hmm. So it un kind of, under what un, unearthed a lot of stuff for me. This episode of A People's Theology is brought to you by United Theological Seminary of the Twin Cities. Are you considering exploring your faith more deeply or are you called to ministry but haven't found a seminary that is quite right for you? When you come to United, you join a community that is intentionally open, socially aware, and theologically adventurous. United's passion is equipping leaders to make real, lasting change in the world through their many different degree programs. Whether your vocation is in faith leadership, nonprofit leadership, academia, the arts, activism, or social entrepreneurship. And the best news is you don't have to uproot your life to attend seminary. United offers maximum flexibility to fit your schedule. Attend on campus or online, part-time or full-time. Their leading distance learning technology allows students to be active in the classroom and engaged with the United community. Want to learn more? Visit unitedseminary.edu forward slash a people's theology or click the link in the episode description and receive a $1,000 scholarship when you apply and are admitted. United Theological Seminary of the Twin Cities, training leaders to dismantle systems of oppression, care for the spiritual needs of a multi-faith world, and push the boundaries of theology. What happened after that Barbie moment then? Like, obviously things it sort of is like this light that turns on and it's like, holy shit, now I can't unsee this. And yeah. your your life has changed very, you know, dramatically, you know. There, In, uh, you inside, know, at least. Yeah, like what, what uh, talk about that part of that story of just like all the different changes maybe that you'd like, like to share about uh, that have happened since. You know, I would imagine changes that have like been for the best for you. Yeah. Well, there was obviously a lot of navigating. Um, Josh was changing too. So there was a lot of navigating what 
I would say this was really still an undoing time because mm. I, I undid my my beliefs about the church, but then my marriage had to undo too. And so those were kind of together, but also separate. Mm. So it was actually a very, very hard time for me. I fell into huge depression. Mm. Um, I, I have my original title for the book was The Year I Sat in Bed. And mm. it was like, I just felt like I didn't know what to do. Um, there was so much confusion. I was, I was really kind of hanging on to what I call the good woman. I wanted, mm. I still wanted my marriage to work out. I still, you know, I, I just, I was hanging on to that for dear life, honestly, at, kind of at my own expense. So I would say it was this kind of very strange time where I'm kind of pressing, I'm, I'm, I kind of look at myself as this, like I'm a container and I can only hold so much space for the the good woman and for the real me. Mm. And what I felt like was that the, the good woman was kind of getting pressed out. At, the more I filled up with my real self and my authentic self and the things that I wanted to do, the less I had room for the good woman. And so the, the whole dynamic or the whole balance of the two of us living inside me was shifting. Um, I released an album, which was really incredible for me. I, you know, I, I started writing music and that was, I would say that was absolutely, that was absolutely everything because basically it was a, a way that I was saying, no, I'm not actually a pastor's wife. I mean, maybe I was that, but I'm really an artist. That is who I've always been. And that is what I'm going to be. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to start doing that. And that's what I did. So writing the music, I figured out, a, you know, I, I learned how to write songs and I started learning music software and I went and recorded this album and I was taking actions. And that was really new for me because in the church, I had been very passive. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. Where would you describe yourself now, kind of maybe spiritually? Like, is it something where Christianity is still something that you hold on to and care about? Does it feel like you've kind of, you're no longer interested in that part of uh, your, you know, spiritual life? I'm just curious, kind of like where you feel maybe spiritually now, given this entire story? Yeah, I feel like, I feel like I just don't, want to give time to it Mm. anymore. It's like, Mm -hmm. I don't feel like I need to know what I really believe. I think other people want to know what I believe way more than I really care to explore. (laughs) Like, I feel like I have explored this. I've, and, and certainly when I was, when my faith was deconstructing, I was reading about Catholicism and I was trying to understand some other, um, I had taken religion in in college. So, but the the bottom line is that I feel like that life was so unbalanced that the flip side of that is I need to give my time now to the the stuff that really didn't get any time and attention. You know, in a perfect world, you you have a balanced life. You've got some religion. You're also doing the things you're supposed to be doing and there's no but my life wasn't balanced. So to me, that means that now is also unbalanced. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't mean I would never go to church. I've been to church a couple of times, 
Um, right now, there's still a reaction, you know, when I when I hear scripture and there's mm-hmm. just a lot that comes up for me that mm-hmm. is painful. So I'm kind of I'm kind of focused on other things. And yeah, um, Absolutely. yeah. I, I mean, it, it's just it's really interesting to hear so many people's journeys like that. You know, obviously yours was sort of like in a different status of, of a lot of people's journeys. Yeah. <laughs> You know, many of us grew up in purity culture. Many of us uh, right. believed a lot of the things that we all believed, you know, when we were in evangelicalism. And then for all of us to undo those beliefs and have a, a journey in that. And then, you know, some of us end up still identifying with Christianity and we find a different right. way of being Christian. And some of us leave religion altogether or maybe find a different religion or whatever it might be. But it's really interesting exactly. how that part of the journey is so, so different for so many people at the same it time, is. knowing that so many of us come from the same kind of cloth of, of purity culture, of evangelicalism, of those types of beliefs. Uh, so it's just, it's it really interesting how so many different journeys can, uh, how, how so many different journeys can kind of happen out, uh, you know, once you leave evangelicalism. It's true. It's true. And I think, I think that's healthy because that that's kind of showing that people are really taking a path that feels true to them. Mm-hmm. And, it, and that's why it frustrates me when, you know, when there's this whole kind of like, this is how you should deconstruct, or this is, it's just like, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> mm-hmm. just let people do what they need to do. I, I mean, certainly a lot of the people that wrote endorsements for your book, uh, you know, sort of knowing the world that you're in now, it, it seems like a lot of those people have very similar journeys as yourself of, of having mm-hmm. this kind of deconstruction experience. And uh, yeah, it just, it just seems really, really important in particular that uh, folks like yourself tell uh you know share their stories um yeah. you know especially you know, knowing the sort of status and level uh, of that you had in that world uh and for you to go through this very similar journey that a lot of us who you know didn't uh you know weren't partnered to somebody who had this million dollar uh, or you know multi-million dollar uh, million copied sold book or whatever right right like, i know there, what you there is a level of status there that is really important then for that kind of person to share their story you know and, and we all need to share our stories our deconstruction stories i think it's all absolutely really important. um but to especially hear people that were very very participatory in those systems uh and, and even had some level uh, or, or status uh that that elevated them a little bit more especially those yeah. folks i think need to, to share those stories uh because Total, totally yeah, it feels like it could be so disconnected for someone like myself to to think like oh like all those leaders they all believe the same sort of thing and, and they don't know what ex- what it's like to go through deconstruction but certainly y- your uh your experience it, even at that level of having that elevated leadership you know what that experience is like as well and that was one of the reasons i wanted to share my story cuz honestly from a personal standpoint i did not desire to ha- in- elongate my public life in that world, from that world. Like there's nothing I wanted to do less than talk about these, these hard things. And, and it was in some ways it was really embarrassing. Um, at one point, you know, I'm like, I, we're going to get a divorce and I, this is so mortifying. Mm. And, but you know, it was also so incredibly freeing afterwards. It's like, well, I cannot fail anymore in like, so many people's eyes and in a way that's like so releasing because it's like i'm done i'm written off so mm-hmm. you know it, that was healthy but but i did want to say that that was i think part of why i wanted to write the book because i realized that when i was in the bubble 
all those stories were dismissed. It was like, don't read this book. Don't read that book. These books don't, you know, and, and I can remember that very distinctly that the books were everything. Like we had this bookstore and it was highly controlled and, and people read books before they put them, you know, they had readers that would um, okay them. And, and so I felt like, and, and then the other thing is I was learning things like, like women were reaching out to me from my ministry saying they were in other States. Like I had one woman say, you know, I was told to be like you by my pastor and she was in like five states away. And I didn't know that. I didn't know that my, I don't, I don't think I comprehended how I was being basically used as a model, as a mannequin for so much of that. I don't think, I, I don't think it really, I don't know. Maybe that's not true. Maybe I did. I certainly didn't understand that people were telling other women to be like me. That was ridiculous. And I was really upset when I heard that. So for those couple reasons, I felt like it's really important that women tell their stories because their women's stories have been squashed for ages throughout life and and in our culture. Um, they just the only way we can really it's just so important for us to hear each other's real stories and and so we can feel less alone and yeah, like like as as I have talked to my even my mother and like my aunts and my friends, the more open I have become, the more I've learned that a lot of women have experiences that they're not talking about. There's a very good chance that some of those women that were told to model themselves after you were probably having the same sort of doubts and questions as you were having. And mm -hmm. for them, for that person to know now, wait, all that entire time, Shannon was also having these doubts and questions that I've been having. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and for you to share that part of your story, I think empowers that person that may at one point in their life been told, actually model yourself after Shannon. Uh, I think that is such a freeing and empowering experience for people to know. Even Shannon was having that experience of these doubts and questions about whether it's my yeah. faith or my marriage or how I'm supposed to be in the world. I think it's just so important. And I think you sharing your story empowers those folks so much. I hope so. I really do. Well, sort of along those lines then, uh, how do you hope this book inspires and liberates its readers? You know, I think you just said it. I really, I really do. I really just felt like it was important to share my story. I want, I want other women to share their stories. I think being as, as, as open and honest and authentic as we can be helps each other. I think, you know, we live in a patriarchal world that, that makes it really hard for women. It, it, we're kind of starting out the race already so behind. And I don't, I don't, I didn't write the book with these like distinctive takeaways. I really wanted women to be able to, women, um, men, people of all genders um, to just, to get what they wanted from it. If they wanted to read it, I, I, I didn't have like a plan except that I wanted it to be freeing and encouraging. Mm. So, yeah. <laughs> love that. Love that. Uh, Shannon, last question. How can listeners uh, get connected to you, your work? Uh, where should they get the book? Uh, where they can, where can they get the music that you, you record and release? Uh, yeah, all the things. How can people get connected to you? <laughs> Thanks. Well, um, I 
uh, I'm kind of in transition right now, but I have a website. Um, I have uh, some music on Spotify. I have a couple of videos on YouTube that are really out, you know, a while ago, but um, I'm, I do a lot on Instagram, a lot of silly characters and stuff like that on Instagram. And um, you can get the book on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, you know, all the usual places. And in the future, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm really just trying to work out what I'm going to do next. So I'm um, a little bit in the, in between, but I'm, I'm hoping to develop some kind of music comedy, musical comedy, whether that's with other people or just alone. It's, it might be a one woman show. I don't know. <laughs> I love it. That's just wonderful. So, well, uh, Shannon, thank you so much for writing the book, sharing your story. Obviously, this is a, a story that uh, connects to a lot of people, uh, you know, especially those Thanks. of us who grew up in evangelicalism in the 2000s. Your story is so uh, so connected in that way. And and to hear you uh, share your story now, knowing the, the doubts and questions that you had uh, and how much that relates to so many of us, I think it's just so important. So thank you so much for writing the book and talking a little bit more about it with me. Thank you, Mason. This is amazing. And, and I think you're doing an amazing job. <laughs> you. you can get connected with Shannon and her work in the links in the episode description. Thank you again for listening to another episode of A People's Theology. If you liked what you heard, please give the podcast a five-star rating and review. Also, please support the podcast at my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Mason Meniga. And remember, friends, go and be the theology to the world that inspires and liberates. <laughs>